want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide, Six Steps to Infuse Storytelling into Your Live Videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. Okay, my friends, today's episode of the podcast is for you if you want to get your business structure in place and get your legal aligned for your business. And let me tell you, if you have any kind of a business whatsoever, including those of you that are sole proprietors, this is the episode for you to listen to. Gordon Firemark has practiced media, entertainment, and business law since 1992. He is often referred to as the podcast lawyer and is himself a podcaster, producing and hosting two successful podcasts, Entertainment Law Update and More Better Faster. Gordon is the author of the podcast, blog, and new media producer's Legal Survival Guide, the creator of several online courses, including legal toolkits for digital business owners, filmmakers, theater producers, and podcasters. And on this episode, you'll learn why you need business foundational structure. Like I said, it's vital. The types of contracts your business actually needs so you can protect yourself. And when to trademark your intellectual property. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, my friends, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I'm really excited because I have with me today a good friend and a good human being who also happens to be a lawyer. Now, I know people think, oh, lawyer, ew, but not with this amazing human being who also, full disclosure, happens to be my lawyer. So, with that said, welcome to the podcast, Gordon. Hi, it's me. Nice to see you. I'm the, I'm the oxymoron. <laughs> At least some kind of moron. I don't know. <laughs> you are a good human being, which, you know, your, your kind doesn't necessarily have the reputation for. Let, let's put it that way. This is true. Well, I'm here to break some stereotypes then. Yeah, which I love. I love, I love. So, okay, we met at... BBD Live, Business by Design Live, which is an event in the online space. But the very interesting thing about it for me is these parallel paths that you and I have sort of weaved in and out of and the mutual people we know because your career beyond what you do now in the online space was in entertainment law. Right. How did that happen for you, and how did you then switch? Well, I I came to the law a little bit late in in you know the way often people become lawyers they they've always wanted to be a lawyer that kind of thing. I was always very actively involved in in the arts. I mean, I I uh, I got involved in theater. Gosh, I must have been ten or twelve years old doing lights and sound backstage for school variety shows and things like that, and really pursued that as my passion through high school and into college, and then. In college, uh, as a theater major, which is how I started, that was a performance program. And I am not, even though I'm 
very much about being on camera and visible these days. I was not at the time interested in being on stage. And so I switched my major to radio, TV, and film. But, you know, theater and stuff was always a, a part of it. The law only came as I was wrapping up my senior year in college. I was sort of finished with stuff in the major, and I started taking the graduate-level courses on policy and management and regulation of the media and those kinds of things. And I ended up being the undergrad with the top score in the class of all, all the grad students. Oh, wow. So that professor pulls me aside and says, hey, you should think about going to law school. Well, I was applying to film schools right then. So I laughed and thought that was hilarious, but oh, what the heck, I'll try it. And I applied to some law schools and got into law school, not into film school. So <laughs> took that as a sign. <laughs> Truly, I mean, it's really interesting where the path takes you, right? And I love, okay, and this explains all of it to me. Your big heart comes from your theater. Yeah. It comes from that theater background, right? It comes from that sense of community and that love of the art. And... That spirit of collaboration and working yeah. and building something together for the love of that art form, really. And let's face it, you know, we don't go into theater because we want to get rich. We don't? <laughs> <laughs> let's say we don't go into theater because we expect to get rich. There we that. go. I would say expect, but I do think that there are, you know, there are those, you know, when you're really young, you have these wide eyes that, oh, maybe I can be a star or whatever. I, you know, I never really had that. My whole goal really was just to be working in the industry full time. Yeah. And, then when, and then when you hit that goal, you're like, ah. Oh, Okay, no, I really do want to be rich. <laughs> but there is a vibrancy and an energy to working in the industry, regardless of the remuneration. Um, you know, we enjoy it for the people and, and the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you don't stay, certainly, and you, mm. don't, you don't have longevity, and you can't because of the roller coaster that is that industry, which is not yep. dissimilar to the roller coaster of the online entrepreneur. That is true. So tell me about when you found online and how you decided to transition some of your offerings to that space. Well, I actually was was first involved in, I took an online course. This is sort of before online courses became a big thing, but it was an online course for lawyers on how to grow our practices and be more efficient and those kinds of things. And it included a coaching and mastermind kind of a component to it. And that sort of opened my eyes to what this world could be. And uh, I started creating an online course of my own, actually for theater producers or aspiring theater producers and uh, learned how to build that basically from trial and error, <laughs> the way I'd approached many of things in my life. And at some point I discovered this guy, James Wedmore, for video, how to do online video better. And I wanted to build a YouTube channel and I was going to do, again, to, to grow my law practice. And I started making these Q&A videos uh, called Asked and Answered with the entertainment lawyer, Gordon Firemark. And I learned sort of some strategies from that from James. Then James made a pivot into helping online entrepreneurs build and grow their courses and businesses and so on. And I sort of followed him along. It took me a couple of years to sort of pull the trigger and go with the business by design. And that was great. And I haven't really looked back since then. Oh, I love that. I didn't, I had never, I'd never heard that story in all this yeah. time we've spent together. Yeah. Speaking of online entrepreneurs, one of the things I know to be true that I have learned over time, that sounded very Oprah Winfrey. One of the things that I know to be true that I've learned over time is there are two things that really freak out, particularly people when they're first starting out. 
That is their finances, how to do their budget, how to manage their banking, and the legal. It's like they want to take it and bury their head in the sand about it because it's just so foreign and scary. It's even scarier for most than getting up and talking and speaking, and that's scary. But dealing with the legal, like, ah, I don't even know where to begin. So where, where is a good place for a new online entrepreneur or any entrepreneur, for that matter, with a business? Where should they begin? Well, I think you need to begin the way any business really should begin and think about sort of foundational structure. And I think for most businesses, that means forming some kind of a business entity. You know, if you, if you hang out a shingle and just start doing your work without a corporation or a limited liability company or some kind of a written agreement with your partners, what happens is you're at the mercy of the default law. And the default law says, look, if you, if you're a sole proprietor, you are responsible for everything that happens in the business. If something, bad happens and incurs liability. Say someone comes to your store and slips and falls and breaks their neck. Guess what? You pay. Your insurance or your assets are on the line for those injuries and things. And if, you, if you're in partnership with one or more other people, then all of you are responsible, even if you're not the one whose fault it was that the thing happened or something like that. So we usually recommend form a company, a a limited liability company or a corporation or sometimes a limited partnership. There's a bunch of variations, but LLCs and corporations are the the two main ones. And they provide a raft of benefits. One is that limitation of that liability. You're only responsible for the amount you've already put into the company. If the company ends up on the hook for things, it's very hard for a complainant to come at your personal assets. It allows for better structures like who owns what and how, who's in control of things. It has some tax advantages for most companies. And there's some street credibility to having Inc. or LLC after your name. And it also allows you to establish credit in the name of the business so you're not reliant on your personal in that regard as well. So lots of benefit to having that structural foundational thing in place. And what is the difference between a because you mentioned there were two primary that you recommend, yep. which is the corporation and the LLC. What's the difference between the two? You know, there aren't many differences for most very small businesses. A corporation is an older, more established, more understood, I guess you could say, form of business. It go back, goes back hundreds of years, invented by the Dutch merchant shipping industry. The idea of a corporation was that each ship would be its own company. So if it sank, the owners wouldn't be, you know, dealing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this story. I've never heard this before. Yeah. So, so it allows for the owners, the shareholders to have, you know, shielded, be shielded from liability. It allows the owners of the, or the founders of the company to sell stock and generate revenue to buy the ship, build the ship, buy the, the building, whatever it is. But it comes with some formalities, um, meetings and, you know, hoops to jump through basically. The LLC came along in the uh, late 80s, uh, maybe a little earlier than that, but widely adopted in the 80s and 90s by states in the U.S. to make it simpler, to allow for that limited liability, the ability to bring in members and so on under a more simple sort of an agreement, contract kind of a structure. So it, it behaves like a partnership in some ways, but it's taxed and, and its liability posture are more like a corporation. So it's a simpler, fewer hoops to jump through kind of an approach. Yeah. So it sounds like, and you know, I know you, you can't do a legally, especially you can't do a one size fits all, yeah. but it sounds like 
if you really are just starting out, looking at an LLC may be the simpler way. Yeah, I mean, for one or two people, it's usually just as simple. I mean, other than holding a meeting and documenting some minutes every year, that that's the big difference really between the two. And so there's an analysis that has to go into it, but it's it's not overly complicated. So you mentioned protections, like it protects mm-hmm. you, your assets. Yeah. I know that entrepreneurs want to also protect them, their stuff, their property, their intellectual property, their courses, their trade, things that they might consider trademarking. What kind of protections do digital entrepreneurs especially need right away? Well, I, I think the brand protection, pr- protecting the name of the of the product, if not the business, uh, is a very important strategy. If you have a brand, a distinctive uh, name or symbol or phrase or you know those kinds of things that you attach to your product that identifies the source of the product. Think about, for example, a box of cookies with a red triangle in the upper left corner here in the U.S. That tells everybody who looks that that's a product from Nabisco. You don't have to look much further. That's a very strong identifying mark. And that's what a, a brand or a trademark is and can be. So if you have a distinctive name for your product or for your services, then it's worth protecting that so that others don't come in and adopt similar or confusingly similar names or brands for their products in the same space, basically. Sometimes you can do that with the company name, sometimes not. It sort of depends on the kind of company and, and, and business. Most service businesses, the service is the product, and so the name of the business can also be a, a trademark or brand. So that's that's the first thing. Register some trademarks. And, and how do you know when you're ready? How do you know when, like, okay, I've done this enough or, you know, I mean – how do you make that determination or is it really on a case by case basis based on, I don't know what? (laughs) Uh, No, I think earlier is better. I mean, uh, you know, generally I would say once you've committed to that brand and you plan to invest resources in building it, then that's the time to be start thinking about this. Now, trademarks are not protected until they are adopted and used in interstate commerce. So it might pay to wait until you've got product on sale it is possible to register ahead of time on the basis of what's called an intent to use. And then you have to later come back and prove that you've started using it. And then they give you the trademark, but that's a great way to sort of reserve the business or the brand name. So uh, yeah, I think the the moment is when you've committed to it and are ready to start investing in growing. So another thing that I know can be confusing are the, kinds of contracts that you need with people like do you need it when you if you have somebody coming on to work with you or for you basically do you need to have a contract with them like what are the basic sort of contracts that you will encounter as a business in the online space well the first thing again is like that foundational structure of the entity is and you need to have some kind of an agreement if not the entity agreement itself with your co-founders, partners, people like that. And you need to lay out essentially, and it's like a prenuptial agreement. You know, you're, you're joining yourselves to the, to each other for a period of time or for life. You want to make sure you know what happens if. With this contract, Ivy wed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, traditionally a wedding is a form of contract. Marriage is a contract. So we're, we're really talking about the same kind of thing. You heard my voice go, yeah, because I'm engaged. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) 
so the, the, yeah, the, the relationship needs to be documented between the partners and co-founders of the business. The next thing is with those people who are, you're bringing on to work for you and they, they fall into three classes. One is the employees. Number two is the independent contractors and three are the vendors, the, the other businesses that you do business with. So we'll talk, we'll take all those in, in turn. Now I, I will say I am not an employment lawyer, so I'm not going to go too deep into that side of it, but you should have a contract with your employees. If you don't have a written one, once again, you have an implicit contract and what it says becomes open to interpretation by a man sitting in a black robe behind a bench or 12 people over on the side of that same room. Hmm. So, you, or however big the jury is, but that's, you don't want to leave it to other people to decide. You, if you're hiring a person to do a certain job, you need to specify what that job is and what their compensation is going to be, what the expectations are. Having employee policy and procedure manuals is part of that. They become a part of the contract, all of that. And it, frankly, it, it opens you up. It leaves you, I should say, in a position to make better decisions about hiring, firing, promoting, uh, providing bonuses, all those kinds of things. Nothing left to open. The whole idea of a contract really is to create some certainty in a relationship so that everybody can go forward with confidence that they understand how it's going to work. So that's the employees. When you have employees, everything that the employee creates for the business within the course and scope of their work for you is yours. You own their pro- that property, intellectual property, physical property, all of that. And that's wonderful. But employing people has some friction points and expense that not every business is ready to take on. So uh, where possible, and I say that because California has some rules that make it very challenging to have people work for you as independent contractors, except in very narrow circumstances. But independent contractors are a really important component of this as well. You can hire a designer. You could hire a, uh, a copywriter or a photographer to be an independent contractor to do a, a small subset of the tasks that need to be done every week or whatever. And having a contract with that person that specifies, again, the scope and nature of their work and compensation, but also specifically about that ownership of the results and proceeds of their work. Because independent contractor would normally own that for him or herself. Mm. So you want to have a contract that specifies the work made for hire component of things. And work made for hire can only happen under contract for certain kinds of work. So you sort of, it, it gets a little tricky, but most of the kinds of things we incorporate into websites and into our products and services will be uh, eligible for that kind of treatment. So that's number two. And then the vendors. In the vendor situation, most of the time, they're delivering a service or a product to you And you're taking ownership or possession of that. Again, the the ownership issue becomes that sort of red flag point of concern. It's easy when they're delivering goods. You know, the apples become yours when they get delivered and they're paid for. But when it becomes less tangible kinds of property, it's a little more challenging. So you want to make sure that the contracts address those kinds of things. Well, speaking of ownership, Mm -hmm. and this is a kind of a meta moment because – here on the podcast, in order to use your voice, your like likeliness, likeness, likeness. There we go. Not likeliness. Well, you're likely to, yes. but you're. <laughs> 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 you know where I, you know where I was yes. going. This is a meta moment because you actually created the one that you just signed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So one of the things that I am out there preaching, uh, one of my brands, my brands is mm-hmm. the podcast lawyer. I work with a lot of podcasters, a lot of digital entrepreneurs, and 
one of my, what's the word I'm looking for? My crusade really is that every podcaster, every media creator, when they bring guests onto the show, should have the guest sign a release form. And that release form is a consent to the recording or the capturing of the performance, a transfer of ownership of the co-creator's contributions to it, and a release from liability. So that says, yes, you can publish it and I won't sue you and all those kinds of promises that make us all feel better. Like, okay, it's good. It's okay to put out this content. So I, as you said, I I have agreed to that release uh, with you at the time we booked the appointment. And that's what I encourage everybody to do. And to that end, I actually offer a free podcast guest release or just a guest release for folks that want to do that. So podcastrelease.com is one and guestrelease.com for the broader sort of multimedia kind of stuff. Oh, cool. We'll make sure that we put that in the show notes so that people can click right on it. Because I think it's important for everyone to realize that when you, for instance, gather testimonials and mm-hmm. use those testimonials, that needs to have that image and that that release. That it's beyond just a, like you're, if somebody's out there going, I don't have a podcast. What, what do I, what, I don't need this. Yeah. Yeah, you do in so many different ways in, mm-hmm. in your business, even using photos, right? With, 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 yeah. with somebody in, in it. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there are different kinds of agreements for those kinds of specific scenarios. The testimonial, now you're using it in a very commercial way. It's different from putting out podcast or, or live stream video content or something like that. The photograph depends how you're going to use it. Another one that comes up a lot with coaches is that they want to record the coaching sessions and maybe put them inside a, a course or, you know, make them accessible for later use. Well, maybe that invades some privacy or, or involves some privacy concerns and things like that. So you want to make sure you're getting that consent and permission to use it in the way you intend. And yeah, that's an important component. Because I think it's important for people to realize that it only takes one disgruntled person to shift your entire business. Yeah, shift is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> Take one letter out and it'll tell you really. really yeah, yeah. We swear on this podcast, so you can say shit okay. or, or screw or whatever word that, uh, that, that really feels right to you. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I, I think that that's something that, you know, especially when you first start, you may not really be focusing on. And I get that. Yeah. But as you're growing, especially for my listeners who are growing their businesses, it's vital because the bigger you get, you know, it's like that more money, more problems, as people say, right? Yeah. But but certainly more eyeballs on you and what you're doing and it becomes even more vital. Not that it's not vital in the beginning. I want to be very yeah. clear that if you set it up at the beginning, you won't have the issues to start with. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's really something for people to realize is that if you get that foundation, like you've been talking about set yeah. up, you don't have to worry about it then. Then the worry is gone. Mm-hmm. That that niggling in the back of your brain that's like, uh-oh, 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 you don't have it. Yeah. Well, you know, what what happens is if you've got that worry, if you've got that niggling, if you haven't sort of set yourself up and taken that sort of professional approach to the business side of your business as well as the service that you provide, what happens is you're you're always thinking about it. It's in the back of the mind that there's this risk or that, or, well, I hope that you're thinking about it. Some people are just completely oblivious. <laughs> That's a, a lack of professionalism there too. But if you've got that thing nagging in the back of your mind, maybe you'd you hold yourself back. You, you, you don't take that bold action or the, or the sensible risks that business owners need to take in order to grow. So you're not playing the big game. You're holding yourself back because you're afraid of what might happen. 
when you know you've got the foundations set up, you've got the contracts in place, you've done everything right for your business, you can put those fears aside and take those bold risks that are smart for your business. Oh, Gordon, that is so good because that is so real. Yeah. That is so real. And that's what you've done. That's what I've done. That's what, mm-hmm. you know, you look around and all the successful folks, they've got the the things on their website, the privacy policy, the disclaimer, the terms of all, the, you know, th- th- that doesn't just happen by accident. Yeah, it doesn't. They're taking a sensible professional <laughs> approach to things. Well, it's running a business, right? Yeah. It's not, and we're from the, you know, the land of show business. And we often say yeah. it's not show play, it's show business. Exactly. And, and it's the same here in the, in the online space or as any form of an entrepreneur, it's a business and yeah. it must be treated with that respect and that care ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you have some templates that people mm-hmm. can purchase on your website for various things. Where do they go to get those? Okay, well, the the landing spot for sort of all the services and things that I offer is gordonfiremark.com. On that site, I point to some of my online courses, one, one of which is for digital entrepreneurs. It's called Easy Legal for Digital Entrepreneurs. There's one for podcasters. And there are forms and templates for podcasters and digital entrepreneurs. So you just go to gordonfiremark.com and look for the the brand name that you're interested in. <laughs> and, and we've got, we've got a form store with lots of the most common form templates that you might need along with video explanation of me showing you how to fill out the form and template. So. Oh, that's really great video with it so that you aren't looking at it because I think one of the, the issues and one of the reasons that people run and hide yeah. is that they look at it and it looks like a bunch of mumbo jumbo to them. Yeah. And, and it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I it's prefer not, the word legalese, but... Legalese, I like that. <laughs> mumbo-jumbo uh, works. But that mumbo-jumbo, but you help them get through the mumbo-jumbo, basically, or the legalese. Yeah. You, go to, you do legal with ease. <laughs> it's, one thing, it's one thing to have a form, a template that has a blank in it, and to go in and just have to guess what goes in the blank. Now, sometimes it's obvious. This is where the date goes. This is where my name goes. Sometimes... You have to think about how to articulate the concept that goes in that spot. And that's what I want to do with these videos is to just say, in this space, you need to include this information, but be careful not to say it this way or be careful to to include these three things or, you know, whatever. And try to do that in the template itself. But sometimes you just have to have them write the name of the thing or the person or what it is the, the other party is supposed to bring to the table. That's so helpful. That really is so, so very helpful. I hope so. And also, anybody out there who's an aspiring podcaster, especially if you're wanting to take a podcast and monetize it, go check out Gordon. He is there to help you. I call him the podcast king over here. And it's been such a pleasure to have you as a guest on my podcast today, Gordon. I really appreciate your time because uh, we know billable hours and we... And, of course, your knowledge and um, your beautiful heart, like I said at the very beginning. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nick. And and thank you for all that you are doing for the creative entrepreneurial community as well. This this podcast is a tremendous service, and the programs and courses and coaching and all the things that you offer are tremendously beneficial. I've, ta- I've taken your one of your storytelling story for business courses and uh, got a tremendous amount out of it. In fact, I was sitting with my family watching a a movie, that Disney movie the other night, and I was seeing the 
the story structure components that you've taught me. And uh, well, thank you for that. So it, we have a little mutual admiration society going here. There we go. I, I, we got man crush, even though you're not gay, you get, you're, you're straight with kids and I'm, but I'm a theater lover. So there's and a little I'm engaged. bit. <laughs> well, that's true. Everyone in the theater has a little gay in them. Just a little. <laughs> I'm in touch with my, a femininity is that yeah, you're, you're 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 in touch with your divine feminine that's actually go. that that's actually a, a, a nice way to say it other than sure. a little a little gay in you okay my friend thank you so much for being here i really really do appreciate it there were so many golden nuggets you got free legal advice today my friends so go take them and go find gordon Go check out those templates, the videos that he has that are going to be so helpful to you. Get your legal in order and let us know what was the number one step, the next step that you need to take. Let us know. DM us on Instagram. You know how to find me, the Nick Demas. How do we find you on Instagram, Gordon? Firemark. There you go, Gordon Firemark. Pretty simple. And DM us what your next step is going to be. Thank you all so much. See you next time. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Please rate, write us a review, and subscribe so we can spread the word and other solopreneurs just like you can find us.